Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back again to the program again today and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. I trust you do it every week at the same time and uh, just tune in and watch, set your DVR because we really, you know, we're on, uh, you know, weekly and we like to take the time not just to preach one standalone uh, message for uh, each, each particular day, but we like to build a series that we are teaching. And over the last two weeks, we started a new series two weeks ago on the seven I am's of Jesus in the book of John. We're studying the book of John a little bit. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a great, great blessing to you as to me. I've spent weeks studying this and writing notes, preparing to be able to share some of these things. And uh, if I could just come back, I won't reiterate a lot of the stuff that have taken two weeks just to introduce it. But there are seven times in the book of John that Jesus says, I am. For instance, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Seven times Jesus uses that terminology saying, I am. Now, before I get into the meat of that, let me just tell you that if you've missed any of these programs, you can go back and watch them uh, on, on demand at, at your earliest convenience or whenever you'd like. We archive everything we air uh, is on YouTube. You can go back and watch our YouTube channel and, and then pause it, stop and take notes, uh, share it with your friends, share it on your Facebook page. If you don't have the time to sit down sometimes and just watch the program, you can also go to our podcast because it has the audio from these television programs on our podcast on iTunes. It is also available as an RSS feed for your Android device. The easiest way to do all of this is simply to go to my website, and that address is on the screen probably right there uh, that you can see on your screen. And if you go to my website, you can simply tap on the opening screen right there, and it has a picture of this TV set, and it will take you to our latest program, and our playlists are in there. Uh, you can watch them, uh, and if you, if you actually subscribe to our channel, every time we upload a program, it will let you know we've uploaded one. Also, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast and to the RSS feed. All of those are free. They're just, all you got to do is go and just listen to them if you'd like to, and they'll be a great blessing to you while you're there at our website. There, You can look through the whole host of, of products that we have. Our books are there. We have uh, four books we've written. Uh, there are uh, multiples of audio, CDs, and uh, uh uh, there's some video stuff there as well, and uh, just all kinds of stuff is there for you to be able to download. You could actually download even uh, immediate downloads of uh, audio teachings that we've done, and uh, it's a great, great resource to you uh, to be able to draw from. I'm going to be uh, talking today, I want to go back and tell you that John 20, verse 31, is the key scripture, I believe, for this chapter. Because in John 20, verse 31, it said, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. That's the purpose of the whole book of John, is that you might have faith, that you might believe in Jesus, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through His name. 
You know, the, re the reason we title our program that you might have life is because the gospel is more than just about you living in 70 or 80 years of misery here on this planet, and then one of these days you can go to heaven and have life. That's, not, that, that's included in the package. But what he's saying here is, he came that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Now what happened is, is that in Genesis Mystic Garden, God told Adam, the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And because of one man's disobedience, death came upon all men. And the death that came upon, was a force that came upon humanity. But when Jesus came, He came to reverse what Adam did in his fall. And so when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to restore you, not just to a ticket to heaven. And I certainly am not taking anything from that. I almost feel like every time I say that I need to preface it by saying, I'm not taking anything from heaven. But there's a lot of people who are going to die and go to heaven who are going to miss this incredible abundant life that was meant for us to be lived. And that's what John is writing. He said that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through His name. In other words, there's a life that comes that the, the one thing that's missing from humanity was not the rules to behave, or the rules and the regulations. The, the thing that was missing was a life. In other words, you know, uh, if you get this life in you, when you receive this life, this life becomes the light. And this life, when you get the life inside of you, in other words, Adam's, uh, the, the family of Adam uh, after the fall sinned because death reigned from Adam to Moses, even to those who did not sin after the similitude of Adam. But nevertheless, death reigned. Even so might grace reign through life through one Jesus Christ. In other words, that was a force that was conveyed upon the human family, and they did what they did because there was death in them. But we've been made alive. We've been made alive in our spirit so that the life that's in us begins to cause our appetites to change. It, it changes our behavior. See, this is not another sin management program or another uh, uh, list of rules and regulations. He came to give you a life, His very own life, that out of this life we can have this abundance of joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Ghost because of the abundance of the grace and the gift of righteousness. We reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So He came for us to have this life through His name. And I think that is so absolutely powerful that that was the restoration of one of the things that we get back is we get, we get a life. And I think that, you know, even as I was thinking, meditating on this, I probably should have looked it up in the book of Hebrews, but he talks about uh, having your senses exercised to be able to know good from evil. You know, I used to sit and think about this, and I used to think, I wonder why in the world God would even put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. I just wonder why He would even put it there and say, don't eat this tree. You can eat of the other trees, but don't eat of this tree. And I think probably it's because at some point God may have allowed them to eat from that tree, except the order was wrong. 
In other words, they thought if we, get the, if we eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now let me say this because I saw something the other day that I read an article that really helped me maybe say this a little different than I used to, uh, but the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a picture, an Old Testament picture, I think, of the law of Moses because it was a, uh, you know, it, through the law came the knowledge of sin. So it's a picture, but it predated the law. So it was not the law of Moses, but it is a picture of trying to live out of a basis of rules and regulations knowing good from evil. Well, we know uh, that when you ha try to live based on good and evil, you get in Romans 7 dilemma where I, when I want to do good, evil is present with me, and how to perform that which is, is good, I don't seem to find it. Paul got on this dilemma, and he said, when I want to do good, evil is present, and what I want to do is not what I do, but what I hate, that's what I end up doing. He said, and you know, in the Message Bible, he said it's got to be so predictive that I can almost tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to start out meaning well, and I'm going to fall. So what he was saying is, see, the information, knowing good and evil alone does not make you like God. But let me tell you what this, I believe that if he would, and see, then God runs him out of the garden so he doesn't eat the tree of the knowledge, or he doesn't eat the tree of life and live forever in the state that he's in and his fallenness. But in the new covenant, we are brought to a different tree. And that tree stands on Golgotha's hill where Jesus took the power of death, the force that was on the human family, and nailed it to the cross and became the resurrection and the life that he might give us back a life, if you will, so that the tree. Adam had access to a tree of life, and he chose a tree of death, and Jesus chose a tree of death and turned it into a tree of life. Now, now here's what I want you to see. I'm convinced that the reason God put this tree in the garden was not that at some point man would not be able to eat from it and be like God. He just didn't want him to eat from that tree without having life in him. Because once you get the information of good and evil, but you don't have the life force in you to be able to live it, then even Paul said what was meant to be good became evil. He said the law became something that, that, that slew me, and, and it stirred up in me all manner of concupiscence. It, uh, it became the thing that, that empowered sin and gave death a sting, gave sin power, Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 15 says. But what happens is, when we get this life, so what we need to understand is that in the New Covenant, He's not brought us to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what we bring people to, and we tell them, behave, and you'll be all right with God. That's not how it works. Because nobody can behave good enough. The end of the law is there's none righteous, not even one. What we do in the New Covenant is we say, listen, let me bring you to Jesus. Let me ha let you have faith that He's the only, that, that you might believe in Jesus that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So we bring you to Jesus to receive His life. And once you receive this life, then you would be able to have your senses exercised. Once you understand and you've been fed, Hebrews is talking in that context of, of uh, uh, he's talking about, you know, being exercised in the word of righteousness. You've drank the milk, you've, you've drank the sincere word of God, and you've drank from the milk, which is a word of righteousness. And you've been taught that you're the righteousness of God, not based on your performance, but based on who you're in. And then it's after you have your senses exercised that you can discern between both good and evil. But outside of having a life inside of you, 
you're not able to, and I, I hope you're understanding, I hope I'm making this clear. In other words, you're trying to get all of this good and evil and understand it in order to get life. Except understanding good and evil doesn't give you life, it actually produced death. But when you get life, and you get that first, then it helps you discern what's good and evil, and then you start to live not out of performance religion, <coughs> you start to live out of a life that's inside of you. You start to realize in the new covenant, I've been made a partaker of the divine nature. I've got the life of His Son living inside of me. Let me just, I'm going to have to jump in the Word here. We're not going to get very far at all in this, but I want to go to uh, chapter 6 of the, uh, of the book of, uh, of St. John, and, uh, and we will begin reading, because this, I think sometimes, it's amazing to me as I've read this, how there's a lot of surface stuff here, but really underneath of the surface there's a lot of deep, more meaningful stuff going on. Every miracle Jesus did, Everything he did had a, a, a much broader uh, spectrum to it when you really start to dig under the surface. John 6, verse 1 said, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover of the feast of the Jews was nigh. Now see, there's a Passover here. Now one of the things we're going to realize is that John even says, uh, you know, John the Baptist says in Matthew is, Behold the Lamb of God. So while they're even talking about a feast of the Jews, they're looking at a natural feast, and Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. He was our Lamb of Passover. So the feast of the Jews was nigh, the feast of the Passover. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed to His disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, He said unto His disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was come, was now come, his disciples went down under the sea. They entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose, and by great reason of a great wind that blew. And so when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid, 
but he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other but other boat there, save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were going away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. And after the Lord had given thanks, and when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath the God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. They, they said therefore unto Him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Or, 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 or what dost thou work? And they're asking Him, What sign do you show us? What I want to say to you is in this chapter, everything about this is a sign. You're going to see the powerful picture here in just a moment. He said, you know, he said, what's the sign you show us that we might believe and believe and, and, and that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? And he said, our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And here's some of what I'm after. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and gives life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, here's the first I am, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you may have seen, that, that ye also have seen me, and believe not, and the Father hath given me, shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, and, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now I'm not going to get into some of the uh, uh, latter part of this yet to unpack some of this. Let me just kind of get this whole picture for you. Man, there is so much in here, it's just almost difficult to know where to start. He, he, the, the picture that he begins to say, see, what, you, what, what, what I begin to do is put myself in a mindset where he said he brought them into this, they're following him out into the wilderness. Now, what I want you to see is this happened following the feast of the Passover. Now, what this is to me is a powerful picture and a parallel to the Exodus journey in the book of Exodus. Because in Exodus they kept the Passover, and then they left Egypt, and a multitude came out into the wilderness. Do you see this? 
So he, what he's doing is he's bringing them back in their mindset to another exodus. Whew, hallelujah. See, Moses brought them out of a physical bondage, but Jesus is trying to lead them out of a spiritual bondage. And every one of these I am's that he says is in contrast to something that is not. In other words, he said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. In other words, they ate this physical bread, but I am the true bread that came down from heaven because that bread did not give you life, but this bread that he was would give life to the world. And when he brings them out into the wilderness, right after the feast of Passover, he's trying to shock this Jewish mindset into a revelation that he's about to give them that if they'll feed on what he truly is as the stable of life and the bread of heaven, that if we could partake of this daily bread, give us this day our daily bread. What's that mean? We feed on Him. We feed on His death, His burial, and His resurrection, and what that did for us. And it gives us life, and this life is what causes us to come into our promised land. And the promised land is not a piece of real estate. It was rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And as He brings them down into this, you know, place, He's trying, they're, they're, they're uh, you know, there are about, you know, 5,000 of them, and they're looking for food uh, to eat. And Jesus tells them, men, don't labor for the meat that perishes, but for that which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give unto you, for him hath God the Father steeled. Let me say this as well. <sighs> everlasting life includes, I always need to preface this by saying it, everlasting life includes going to heaven when you die. But if you look this word up in the Greek language, or even the Hebrew, it's not just talking about a length of life. It's talking about a quality of life. And this word everlasting is a word that deals with age enduring, or aeonian life, or the life, what he's saying is, see, I don't think we wrap our heads around this. Yes, eternal life includes going to heaven. But in the mind of a first century Jew here, Jesus is talking about aeonian or age enduring or the life of the coming age. The life of the coming age was the life that would be given to those who would begin to move out from underneath of an old covenant age paradigm into a new covenant age that this age, and you heard me talk about this on the first program two programs ago when I introduced this, is that Jesus, when he stood in Matthew 24, he said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? King James says world, but every other translation says age. The age that it was the end of was the age of the law and the mosaic system. And so what we don't grasp or wrap our heads around is many times when he's talking about the life of the coming age, he's not just talking about going to heaven because Jesus defines eternal like this. He said, this is life eternal that you would know the Father. So the life of the coming age was a life lived in the context of a father-son relationship where we call him Abba, where we are no longer slaves under the old covenant paradigm, but we are now sons. And even as he leads them out into the wilderness, he makes them sit down 
and says, listen, he literally is bringing this to their immediate attention. He said, your fathers, he's feeding them this bread, this natural. He said, your fathers ate bread in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I'm the true bread that came down from heaven, that my father gives you the true bread. In other words, he said, listen, I'm trying to show you that I am. I am the bread of life. You thought that was the bread, but that didn't give you life. But I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And see, they're following him for the bread and for the fish and for the tangible stuff, but not for the very substance of the very staple of life, and that's living out of a relationship with God. And Jesus even tells him down here, you know, don't labor for the meat that perishes, but labor for that which gives eternal life. And he goes on uh, down here and tells him, you know, uh, uh, they ask him, what must we do to work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom the Father has sent. And so he begins to tell them then in verse number uh, 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And you know what's so powerfully even amazing here is, is even as he brings them into this wilderness setting, it, it is literally almost a picture again of him bringing them into the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. It is so much to say here, and this is just this little brief window that it's almost impossible to pack it all in. But he's saying to them, listen, he brings them in and he sets them down, the Bible says, on green grass. Now even that to me is powerful. Because Psalm 23 said, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my pastor. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he, he leads me, he goes on to say, he, he leads me into green pastures and he restores my soul, and he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. I, I, I kind of believe David was foreseeing the fact that Jesus would bring them into this very place and set them down on green grass and say, I am the shepherd of the sheep. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the bread, and I'm going to prepare a table before you right here in the presence of your enemies. And even the fact that the grass is green is symbolic because in Revelation chapter 4, he says, I saw a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald, and an emerald is green and a rainbow is a symbol of the new covenant. So when he says he leads them into green pastures, he's leading them into a new covenant paradigm here, and he's about to lead them out through a Passover. That is so powerful to me. We're just about to run out of time here. I wish we're going to pick up again in the next one, but we're just about to run out. I mean, come on back, because I want to unpack some powerful stuff here as we look going further into this book of John. But I'm telling you, he's saying, I'm the bread. You thought that was but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven, and that if we'll feed on Him, it will produce life in us. We're just about out of time. Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like to uh, sow a seed into the ministry, help us to be able to keep this ministry going and keep it on the air, please do that by going to our website at lenhaus.com. You can give there via credit card, debit card. You can write to the address that will come up on the screen, give via check or money order and send it via the mail. Or you could call the number on the screen and somebody will be standing by to take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave a message if you want to call back and we will call you back. God bless you. Thank you for joining us again this week. Join us again next week as we continue this. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.